This morning, as you can see, we're going to be utilizing some handouts. I sent out an email this week giving you a heads up that we're covering three chapters in the scripture this morning, so that is quite an undertaking, hence the handouts. I hope that will help you stay with me, and you won't have to be turning to different portions of scripture. Also, for the sake of time, uh, some of the sections, I'll just be reading what is in the bold as opposed to the whole scriptural passage, but it's there for you, uh, so that you can uh, look at it later if you would so desire. Let me just say, if you do not receive those emails about what I'm going to be uh, preaching on the text that's going to be used, if you would like to receive those emails and are not, uh, please see Pastor Herb and he can put you on the list and you can receive those, those emails. But today it's 2 Kings chapters 11 and 12 and 2 Chronicles chapter 24. And the last time I spoke to you was Mother's Day, and I stressed the importance of a mother's influence upon her children. Today, we are looking at the importance of influences in general, and in particular, we focus our attention on Jehoiada's influence upon King Jehoash, and also referred to as Joash. They are one and the same person. Key verses are 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 2, and 2 Chronicles 24, verse 2. 2 Kings 12, 2 says, And Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days, reason being because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. And then 2 Chronicles 24, 2 says, And Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. So our theme this morning are lessons from Jehoiada's influence in the life of Jehoash. Before we learn the lessons, we need to consider the type and extent of Jehoiada's influence over Jehoash. First, Jeho Jehoash was instrumental, excuse me, that should be uh, Jehudiah. Jehudiah was instrumental in establishing Jehoash as king over Judah. Jehoash was spared from death as a child. That's given to us in 2 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Josiah, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death and remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. While Jehoash is still a child, Jehoiada establishes him to, to be king over Judah. Jehoiada takes the measure to see that the child king is protected. 2 Kings 11.4, but in the seventh year, that is in the seventh year of uh, Joash's life, but in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karaites and the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord, and he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord, and he showed them the king's son. 
Let's jump down to verse 7, the bolden section. And the two divisions of you which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand, and whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. So the king's life is guarded, for he is but a child. Number two, then publicly Jehoiada makes Jehoash king, 2 Kings eleven twelve. Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. Jehoiada then removes all opposition to the king. Turn with me to the next page. And again, the bold statements. Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were over the army, bring her out, that is uh, the mother, between the ranks and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her and she went through the horse's entrance in the king's house and there she was put to death. So all opposition to Joash is removed. So Jehoiada was instrumental in his, that is Joash's becoming king. But now we focus on the fact that Jehoiada was instrumental in Jehoash's spiritual renewals. Jehoiada had caused Joash to enter into a covenant with God and with the people, 2 Kings eleven seventeen, And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. And what's important to realize here is that it is Jehoiada's action. It is Jehoiada taking the initiative. Remember, this is but a child. But Jehoiada is saying there needs to be a covenant relationship that's established between the king and God and the king and the people and God. And this covenant had some remarkable results. And so it be the results of the covenant. First, Baal worship was removed, verse 18. Then, then, and I'm just pointing out that it's in connection with this covenant. All right, this is the enforcement of the covenant. Then, and now uh, in the, the next verse, 2 Kings eleven eighteen, the fuller statement, then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal, tore it down, his altars and his images they broke in pieces, and they killed Matin, the priest of Baal, before the altars. So Baal worship is wiped out. Secondly, the temple was guarded against retaliation. At the end of verse 18, notice the bold statement, and the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. The king was guarded on his way to the palace, verse 19. And he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, for that's where he'd been living up until this point, marching him through the gates of the guards to the king's house, which is the palace, and he took his seat on the throne 
of the kings. So now we have this child king placed on a throne and is reigning over Judah. The people were pleased with what had been done, 2 Kings 11.20. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword of the king's house. So here is this joy, this is rejoicing. Things are going well with the new king. Next, we have a, a summary statement concerning the reign of Jehoash and his spiritual reforms. 2 Kings 11, 21 through 12, 3. Jehoash was seven years old when he began to reign. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibla of Beersheba. Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Now we're going to find out what we're supposed to understand by that in just a little, little while. Verse 3. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and made offerings on the high places. In these reforms, one of the most notable things is that Jehoash has the temple repaired. Jehoash charges the priest to repair the temple that had been fallen into disarray because of the false worship of Baal. The people had forsaken the true worship of God, had worshipped Baal, and the temple had fallen into disrepair. So they start fixing up the temple. 2 Kings 12.4 Jehoash said to the priests, all the money, the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money from the assessments of persons, the money from a man's heart, promise them to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take each from his donor and let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. However, the priests are slow in carrying out the work, verse 6, but by the 23rd year of King Jehoash, the priests had made no repairs on the house. So some notable time has passed, and the, the priests are to be faulted for not following through on carrying out the repairs of the temple. So Jehoash confronts Jehoiada about the delays. Verse 7. Therefore King Jehoash summoned Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why are you not repairing the house? Now therefore take no more money from your donors, but hand it over for the repair of the house. The priests will no longer be over the work of repairing the temple, verse 8. So the priests agreed that they should take no more money from the people and they should not repair the house. And the repairs are completed. Repairs are completed. Uh, let's look just at the bold sections. 2 Kings 12, 11. Then they would give the money that was weighed out into the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to the masons and the stonecutters as well as to buy timber and quarried stone for making repairs on the house of the Lord and for any outlay for the repairs of the house. Down to the next bold section, 2 Kings 12, 15. And they did not ask for an accounting from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to pay out to the workmen, for they dealt honestly. 
The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. So the temple repairs are completed. The temple is in fine array and worship is going on full steam. But now we find a, a, a real change of events. B, on top of page 6, after the temple repairs are completed, the kingdom is threatened by Haziel, king of Syria. Verse 17. At that time. At that time. So this time frame, this time reference is very important. For it's in the time period of the completion of these repairs that had taken so long to come to pass. So much money had been collected. And if you read the passages that we didn't read, you will see the many different sources that uh, the monies came from. And finally, we have this beautifully restored temple and the worship up and running full speed when all of a sudden King Hazel appears from Syria. Verse 17. At that time, Hazel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. But when Hazel set his face to go against Jerusalem, number one, Joash, the king, places his confidence in money rather than God by plundering the temple and using the wealth of the temple to bribe Hazel. Verse 18, Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated in his own sacred gifts and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and to the king's house and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria. So he completely guts and plunders the temple. All the revenues are now turned into gold to be sent to Hazael as a bribe to pay him off so that Hazael doesn't fight against Jerusalem. The scheme seems to have worked. Bring about Hazael's withdrawal. End of verse 18, the bold statement. Then Hazael went away from Jerusalem. All right, so he gets what he wants. He gets what he wants. The army withdraws. There's no battle. They have peace, but now they have a temple in complete disarray and gutted. So, number three, one wonders. Why is there such a shift in Jehoash's behavior? All right? This is an incredible 180 from putting all of his confidence and trust in, in God and doing away with the worship of Baal and reestablishing the worship in the temple and all of the time and the effort and the monies that are being... Uh, dedicated to and used for the refurbishment of the temple. And when that is completed, when that is finally done, 
what does he do? <laughs> he just turns around and undoes everything that he had just done, all right, by plundering the temple in order to buy off Haziel so that Haziel doesn't go to war with him. So, number three, one wonders why there is such a shift in Joash's behavior. Joash had been ardently involved in repairing the temple and participating in his worship. Now Jehoash plunders that very same temple in order to buy off the king of Syria. What gives? What gives? Well, we discover that there's much more to the story than is just given to us in 2 Kings. In Kings chapter 12, verse 19, now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? If you want to know the rest of the story, you've got to go to Chronicles. Well, that's where we're headed. Second Chronicles chapter 24, uh, looking at what happened in the life of, of Jehoash that we see this remarkable turn of events. So number four, now the attention is directed to Second Chronicles where we learn more concerning the importance of Jehoiada's influence. Verse 19 of uh, chapter 12, that we just read, now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? It is in Second Chronicles we discover what was the turning point in Joash's relationship to God and the kingdom's relationship to God. The turning point is the death of Jehoiada the priest. While Jehoiada was alive, temple worship was observed faithfully. Notice 2 Chronicles 24 or 14. And when they had finished, this is picking up on the repairs of the temple. So when they had finished repairing the temple, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, and with it were made utensils for the house of the Lord, both for the service and for the burnt offerings, and dishes for incense and vessels of gold and silver. So the temples restored all of the equipment that's needed for worship, has been uh, obtained, and at the end of verse 14, and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord regularly with this qualifier all the days of Jehoiada. So, worship's great. All the days of Jehoiada. However, there came a day when Jehoiada passes off the scene, verse 15. But, but, that conversive Conjunction is really, really important, for it is telling us of a difference. But Jehoiada grew old and full of days, and he died. Jehoiada is honored in his death, verse 16, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings. Jehoiada is honored in his death because of his faithful serving the nation as well as serving God's house. Verse 18, And they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel and toward God in his house. So Jehoiada, even though he's not a king, even though he's a priest, nevertheless, they bestowed great honor upon him by burying him among the kings. That's how influential, that's how important he was to the nation and to the people. It's a statement about Jehoiada's ministry as high priest. Number five, the text now focuses upon what happens 
after Jehoiada died, his influence is no longer seen. Verse 17, again, we're drawing attention to now after the death of Jehoiada. Just so you don't miss it. <laughs> Just so you don't miss it. He keeps telling us, Jehoiada's dead, all right? He's gone. He's gone. And this explains what's happening. Jehoiada is dead and off the scene. This great high priest, this person that was used of God, this person that was honored, they buried him with the kings because of his influence and his importance. He's dead and he's gone. And so now, A, the king, Jehoash, comes under a very different influence. Now he's not influenced by the priest, but rather the rulers of Judah, verse 17. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. And Jehoiada follows their influence. Notice the end of verse 17, the bold words, then the king listened to them. All right, this explains what happens. The king is now listening to the rulers of Judah. And the result is catastrophic. It's catastrophic. First, they forsook the worship of God, verse 18. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. So they go into false worship. And they, in their false worship, abandoned the temple. They are no longer worshiping there. They're no longer offering the sacrifices. They are no longer following the scriptures, but now they're off following idols and the ashram and worshiping elsewhere. God, of course, is displeased. End of verse 18. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs, namely the false worship and abandoning the temple. Despite God's wrath, God in his grace raised up prophets to call the people to repentance. So here we see the, the mercy and the grace of God. Now God is upset, of course, that they have forsaken him and entered into false worship, but, but God just doesn't bring immediate discipline upon them but in his grace and his mercy, he raises up prophets to call them to repentance. Verse 19. So yet, yet, meaning here is this long-suffering patience of God. Here again is a converse. Even though God is angry with their false worship, nevertheless, God in his grace is going to act. Verse 19, second citing of it. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. So God raised up other prophets in Jehoiada's place to call upon the king and the people to repent. However, the king and the people ignore the prophet's message. End of verse 19. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. So they just ignored it. All right, forget these prophets. Forget what they're saying. We're not going to worship in the temple. We're not going to worship God. We are going to worship the ashram. Here's the 180. Here, here is Jehoash 
worshiping God, now over here, worshiping the false idols. So God in his grace raises up Jehoiada's son to speak to the king and to the people. Well, maybe if they're not going to listen to the prophets, maybe they'll listen to Jehoiada's son. Okay? Jehoiada was well thought of. Uh, maybe this will bring them back. Second Chronicles 24.20, Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God. So now Jehoiada's son stands up and declares God's word. Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. Here are dire warnings that are going to go ignored. Nevertheless, even though they're warned, Jehoash has Zechariah killed. They conspired against him, and by commandment of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Now, think about that. Here is Jehoiada's son. Jehoiada had protected Joash all his life and ministered. They had honored the temple. They had rebuilt the temple. They forsook the worship of God, went to the worship of the ashram, etc. God raised up Jehoiada's son. They had him killed, but to add insult to injury, notice at the end of verse 21, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. They went back to the temple area to kill him there. What, what a blasphemous and audacious act. For he's saying, I'm declaring to you God's word. Okay, <laughs> you want to declare God's word? They march him back to the courtyard of the temple to kill him there. Wow. Going from wanting to refurbish the temple to defiling the temple. Talk about downward progression. Talk, talk about backslide. Talk about horrendous acts. E, despite all the positive influence that Jehoiada had upon Jehoash, Joash has Jehoiada's son killed. Verse 22, thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada Zechariah's father had shown him but killed his son. So now our attention is brought back to Jehoiada again. Saying, look at this king. Even if it isn't out of worship for God, you think he would at least respect Jehoiada's son and treated his son differently. Even if he wasn't going to repent, he didn't have to have him killed. And even if he wasn't going to repent, he certainly didn't have to have him killed in the courtyard. So even his allegiance to Jehoiada had waned. F. Joash was no longer being influenced by any allegiance to Jehoiada. There was no influence left. 
right? There, there wasn't even a remnant, if you will. There, there, there wasn't a kernel of all that he had gleaned and learned and, and uh, had been instructed by or had witnessed or seen in the life of Jehoiada. Nothing left. No effect. No lasting endurance. It's over. Gee, it is for these reasons that Jehoash had bought off Haziel by looting the temple. All right. So here's the rest of the story. Now we get, now it picks up where the other left off. The outcome, the warnings to come. What seems to have worked in bribing Haziel, that is that he retreats, turns out to be a short-term remedy. The Syrian army soon returns to fight against Joash again. So in 2 Kings chapter 12, they pay off Haziel and he retreats. But eventually, he wants more. So he comes back. But this time, they don't have anything. 2 Chronicles 24, 23. At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. See, this time the people of Judah lose the battle. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. They lose a battle that, humanly speaking, the people of Judah should have won. Verse 24, though the army of the Syrians had come with few men. They didn't even come with a strong army. And yet, Judah is going to lose to this weak army. E, the reason they lose the battle is because God is no longer for them but against them. So in Chronicles 24, 24, though the army of the Assyrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army. The great army is the army of Judah. A weak, inferior army comes up to fight against a stronger and superior army, and they lose. Why? Because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, thus they executed judgment on Joash. All of their human reasoning failed. You know, they thought that they knew better, they thought they could buy the king off, they thought they had a better army, etc., but their hope and trust should have been in God, and it wasn't. And it wasn't. Joash is injured in the battle. Verse 25, when they departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, that's referring to the king, Joash. So he's severely wounded. Gee, the servants of Joash killed Jehoash because of what Joash had done to Jehoiada's son. Verse 25, when they departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. Now his death is recurred, uh, his death and the perpetrators are referred to in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, but the details are not given. Jehoash is dishonored in his burial. 
So we look at the bold-faced type. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David. But they did not bury him in the tomb of the kings. So they didn't let the dogs eat him and lick him up. They buried him, but not in the tomb of the kings. Which is interesting, for number one, though Jehoash is a king, he is not buried with the kings. Jehoiada, who is not a king, was buried with the kings. Remember back in 2 Chronicles 24, 15, and 16, but Jehoiada grew old and full of days and died. He was 130 years old at his death, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings. All right, lessons. And those are not listed for you, those you just have to listen to. Well, there's not scripture to follow, but just application, lessons. What are we to learn from this? Well, what is most significant is that the death of Jehoiada revealed that, excuse me, that Jehoash, well, excuse me, the death of Jehoiada revealed that Jehoiada was having a greater influence over the king and the people than God's word was having over the king and the people. You see, it's repeatedly drawn to our attention that while Jehoiada is alive, everything's fine. But when Jehoiada dies, now everything changes. We discover that Jehoiada had such an influence over Joash, for Joash was but seven years old when he began to reign. Remember, it is Jehoiada that establishes a covenant between God and the people, and God and the king and the people. Jehoiada is taking the initiative, and Joash goes along. Even to the point of establishing the temple worship and all these things, because he's following Jehoiada. But we discover it's not because his heart was right with God. It was an external righteousness. It was an external obedience that was being manifested as long as he had this influence in his life. But once that influence was gone, then the real Joash appears. Joash was following Jehoiada more than he was following God. When Jehoiada's influence was removed, no longer was he committed to following God's word. The application is the danger that always exists. And that is that a person who has a strong spiritual influence in their lives may be so impacted by that strong spiritual influence that outwardly they demonstrate great allegiance to the things of God, but inwardly have not changed. Outwardly, they live in conformity with those whose influence they are under, but once that influence is removed, then all of a sudden the heart is revealed. That 
is demonstrated in so many ways. Once the spiritual influence is removed, the person changes. All too often, when young people go off to college and they are no longer under their parents' roof, no longer are they brought to church or told to go to church, but now they're on their own and they're making their own decisions. All too often, those young people that you think love the Lord and are in church every Sunday and outwardly are doing the right things, all of a sudden they're falling away and seem to have very little or no interest in the things of God. It's all too possible that it is the influence of a godly person in their life, and it's because of that person they're doing certain things rather than in their love for God. I knew of an elder and his wife, and they were very committed to the things of God. They were very involved in the church, as you would expect that the elder and his wife would be, and they were wonderful examples. He died. He died. The elder died. After his death, his wife married a non-believer. And after she married a non-believer, her lifestyle changed dramatically. It became pretty apparent that it was the influence of her husband, this godly elder, that impacted her life so dramatically. But when that influence was gone, her real heart rose to bloom and you could see where she was really at. It was a tremendous danger, tremendous danger. You see it not only in the lives of families, you see it in the life of the church. Charles Spurgeon, Metropolitan Tabernacle. 5,000 people gathered together in the 1800s for worship. I mean, making churches today, but back then, unthought of. 5,000 people gathered together, Metropolitan Tabernacle for worship. After Charles Spurgeon dies, That church, in a very short period of time, goes down to 300 people. 5,000 to 300 people. You soon discover that Spurgeon, who was this wonderful and godly man, I find no fault in Spurgeon, I find no fault in Jehoiada, but he was such a gifted and unique individual that that people came to hear. Even the Queen of England came to hear Spurgeon preach. And her comment to Spurgeon was, I will never agree with what you say, but I will never tire of the way you say it. She came just to listen to him because he was so articulate. It was entertainment. But once he passed off the scene, 
the church changed dramatically. The issue is that we need to be certain that what we are being influenced by is the word of God and not an individual. That there is a, a real heart change. You know, it's a wonderful statement. We looked at Timothy and Paul's statement concerning Timothy. We used it about his mother's influence of how Paul is assured that the faith that began in the grandmother Eunice and the mother, uh, uh, grandmother Lois, the mother Eunice, and then Timothy says, and I am assured dwells in you. A sincere faith. Timothy continued on without the influence of his mother, for it was the word of God that motivated Timothy's allegiance. Paul says, I see the sincere faith in you. And you were exposed to the scriptures from a child. But you see the difference between, between Joash and Timothy is that Timothy embraced the faith. Joash embraced the priest. And even in embracing the priest, eventually, that allegiance to the priest wanes and even has Jehoiada's son killed. The fault is not to be found in God. For it is not as though there weren't any godly influences after Jehoiada. For God raised up prophets. They ignored them. God even raised up Jehoiada's son, a person with credentials, a person that the people should have respected and, and uh, had a, con, a, a, a kindness for. They rejected him. Rejected him. The fault was not in God or providing them with proper leadership. The fault is that the people didn't want it. That the people gave lip service, lip service to worship and the priority of the scriptures. But once the influence was gone, the people's real heart was revealed. Where the real allegiance lied, the confidence was in the money, the confidence was in the scheming, the confidence was in all of these other things rather than true and living God. The danger is that the people who testify and state that to them the most important thing is the preaching and teaching of the word of God is, <laughs> is it? Is it? When the influence is gone, is the word of God still the priority or do you head in another direction? Israel headed in a different direction. Doesn't have to be that way by any means. Doesn't have to be that way in any means. The application is that just because a godly leader, godly leader dies, it does not mean that another godly leader is not provided. The issue is, what's really the guiding force in our lives? 
Is it the word of God or is it people? Is it my mom and my dad or is it the word? Is it the church or is it the word? What is governing the influence of my life? It must be the centrality of the word of God and allegiance to its truth or it ends in destruction. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us, guard us, I pray, that our allegiance will always be to you. We thank you for godly influences. We thank you for mothers and fathers, even as we celebrated last week, uh, two weeks ago, Mother's Day, and thought about that great passage that speaks of Lois and Eunice. We, we are grateful for our parents. We're grateful for our godly influences. We're grateful for grandmothers and grandfathers. We're thankful for Sunday school teachers. We're thankful for pastors and elders, the people that you place in our lives, people that have godly influence. But Lord, we pray that ultimately the lasting influence in our lives is that of our allegiance to your word. And uh, Lord, people come and go. And that is right, and that is good. And as these influences come and go in our life, may your word, the centrality of it, always, always be our focal point, and may it be our direction. And may you be honored, and may you be glorified, and may you be worshiped in spirit and in truth. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.